Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at our supporting sponsor, ETSU's Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. And today is uh, September 29th, 2022. We've got a Hurricane Ian tearing up Florida here in the United States. Um, we've had a couple FDA approvals to go over uh, in the last two weeks. Uh, so I'm going to start with, um, with, with those two updates. Uh, three updates, I guess. So first, I want to talk about sodium thiosulfate, which was FDA approved to prevent uh, or to decrease the risk of ototoxicity associated with cisplatin chemotherapy in pediatrics age one plus with localized non-metastatic tumors. And that happened on September 20th. Um, it's just peds, okay, is the approval. It clearly says pediatric patients, one and up, so not infants, less than one year of age, a localized non-metastatic tumors. Uh, has to, that has to do with the uh, subset of patients where it was studied. Um, in adults, typically, when we're giving cisplatin, pretty toxic drug, it is in a curative setting. Uh, in pediatrics, I would imagine there are still some times where we kind of hope everyone is curable, I would guess. But again, it's been many, many 12 years since I've worked in peds hemonc as a, as a resident. So we have talked about this idea of sodium thiosulfate to decrease the risk of ototoxicity with cisplatin in the past. <clears throat> I was sure of it. Uh, and the two studies that this approval is based off of include Siopel, uh, S-I-O-P-E-L, Siopel 6, and then a children's oncology group, COG, um, study, uh, ACCL0431 or whatever. Okay. Now, the Siopel 6 study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2018. That's probably what I talked about on the podcast. Can't believe this thing's been going on that long. So, both of these are small studies. The Siopel 6 study had 114 patients with hepatoblastoma specifically, pediatric tumor, <clears throat> and then the COG study had 125 patients. There are only 77, though, that had localized non-metastatic tumors, and that was in the efficacy cohort. Another thing to think about when you're looking at efficacy and do we decrease the risk of, of ototoxicity with the drug in a localized non-metastatic, i.e. curative setting, you're going to be given a finite number of cycles. There will be an endpoint for your duration of chemotherapy. In the, non, in the metastatic setting or non-curative setting, oftentimes you will continue to give the drug as long as there's clinical benefit, okay? So that means longer duration of drug use and more likely to have toxicity. So it may not be an apple-to-apple -apple comparison, okay? So the, the way that efficacy was measured was different in both these studies. In the first study, it was Brock um, grade one or worse hearing loss, grade one or greater hearing loss. I Perhaps because of this Brock scale, the primary author on that Siopel study is well, last name is Brock. I don't know if it's that Brock, but it's Brock. Anyway, uh, you can look up the Brock scale hearing loss um, scale, and it goes from zero on up to, I think, four. Grade zero and one are not considered deleterious. More than that is considered deleterious. Um, and this uh, grade one, essentially what they do is they, they play sounds at different frequencies at increasing um, loudness uh, or decreasing loudness as you go up the scale and you kind of do that thing where you put the headphones on, put your finger up when you hear a tone, that sort of stuff that you might remember from childhood. All right, in Siopel 6 in this uh, hepatoblastoma study, the risk of uh, grade one or higher hearing loss was 39% in those that received thiosulfate plus cisplatin versus 68%. So almost 
cut that risk in half of having it. Um, you know, basically 70% to 40%. So pretty, pretty effective numbers. Now in the COG study, they used a different hearing loss scale, the, uh, the ASHA scale. Um, so a slightly different criteria, but same idea. In that case, the <coughs> uh, hearing loss was seen in 44% of those who received sodium thiosulfate compared to 58% to those who didn't. So uh, less of effect size in that second study. That second study had a variety of, of different tumor types, so not just hepatoblastoma. So a variety of tumor types, which meant variety of cisplatin regimens and doses and things like that. Um, all right, so the, the drug here ha now has a brand name. Sodium thiosulfate's been around for a while as an antidote for, say, maybe cisplatin or maybe um, uh, Uh Anyway, so because they, these studies were done, there's now a brand name. This drug might be pretty expensive now. It's called Pedmark or Pedmark, like in pediatrics. And the dosing is weight-based, so if you're less than five kilograms, five to 10 kilograms, or more than 10 kilograms of dose, either 10, 15, or 20 grams per meter squared as an IV 50-minute infusion six hours after the cisplatin infusion. And the cisplatin infusion is a one to six hour infusion is what the approval says, all right? It has to be six hours after the cisplatin infusion ends, okay? That is in the label, and that's in the label for a very important reason. How does sodium thiosulfate work to prevent ototoxicity? Uh, and I'm quoting from the PI, sodium thiosulfate, which if you look at it uh, structurally, it looks like it probably could interact with cisplatin. And there's a couple uh, sodium ions that go in this. So sodium thiosulfate interacts directly with cisplatin to produce an inactive platinum species, all right? So it inactivates cisplatin. Cisplatin's a very, very reactive drug, okay? Uh, and it, it starts to react right away and starts, and starts binding to stuff and, and causing problems, great. There's an update available on my computer. Um, so that is the reason that you have to wait six hours after the cisplatin ends before you give sodium thiosulfate because it is going to stop any anti-tumor effect. Now, after six hours, the theory is any anti-tumor effect that has happened from cisplatin has already happened because it is so very, it is so very reactive. Um, the half-life of platinum is a long time, but the interactive reactive intermediate, the antineoplastic metabolite, uh, has a pretty short half-life, right? <clears throat> it's in and it just causes all sorts of havoc in the body and then it, and it's done. So that's why you wait six hours afterwards. And the idea is that some cisplatin has accumulated inside the ears and that sodium thiosulfate can get in there and inactivate that cisplatin that is in the cochlea. Um, all right. Um, uh, further quoting from the PI. Uh, concurrent incubation of sodium thiosulfate with cisplatin decreased the in vitro, so in the lab, cytotoxicity to tumor cells, anti-cancer effect, um, delaying the addition of sodium thiosulfate to these cultures prevented uh, the protective effect, right? So by delaying it in the lab, you still saw the cytotoxicity, right? So that, that's supporting what I said earlier. Now, if you, if you look up cisplatin, how it is metabolized, it's not metabolized. It's non-enzymatic inactivation by sulf sulfahydryl groups, and covalently binding to glutathione and thiosulfate. This is very much uh, going to, if you give the drug the same time as cisplatin, you'll negate the anti-cancer effect most likely, right? So it's a huge conceptual thing to understand because logistically, it's gonna be very hard to do this if things are done the way they're done. In adults, we give a lot of the chemotherapy uh, in clinic. Now, my concern when this first came out was this very idea that we might have decreased cancer efficacy by giving sodium thiosulfate. 
there are similar concerns with dexrazoxane in adults and metastatic breast cancers. And the label for for uh, Zynocard or dexrazoxane, you decrease response rate in metastatic breast cancer. Now, at least in Cyopel 6, the event-free survival and overall survival numerically is higher in those patients who got sodium thiosulfate. That could be just artifact, okay? Could be there's no difference, really, then there's the same, versus one being a little bit better. Or it could be that maybe because there's less ototoxicity, there's greater dose intensity and, and duration. People are able to get more drugs, okay? Now, sodium thiosulfate sounds great. It can help to decrease the risk of, of hearing loss in these kids. That sounds wonderful. There are some side effects to, to worry about here. The first is hypersensitivity, which seems pretty mild. 8 to 13% of patients report a hypersensitivity. You can then go on and pre-treat them with uh, a corticosteroid and diphenhydramine, and they seem to do okay. All right. Um, you can see hypernatremia as well as hypokalemia. If you give a whole bunch of sodium, uh, you'll retain some sodium and then have to waste some potassium. Now, this is transient hypernatremia. It tends to reverse within 12 to 24 hours. Uh, you should not give the drug if the baseline sodium is elevated above 145 milliequivalents per liter. Um, infants less than one month of age don't yet have a developed uh, sodium homeostasis, which is probably why there's that one age and up discrepancy. Could you give it to someone who's nine months? Uh, scientifically, maybe, but that's not the, the labeled indication. Um, also, nausea and vomiting. is a, uh, There's a labeled warning precaution statement about nausea and vomiting. And my first thought when I saw this, oh, that's, that's just cisplatin. It's not sodium thiosulfate. It's just everyone's getting cisplatin. But we have a placebo-controlled study, and the rate of nausea with cisplatin and thiosulfate is higher than just cisplatin. So nausea, 40% versus 30% more with thiosulfate, vomiting 85% with cisplatin and thiosulfate compared to 54% with cisplatin, also higher. Uh, grade three or higher vomiting is 8% versus 3.6%. So there certainly does seem to be more nausea and vomiting um, with the thiosulfate added to this. It seems odd to me that vomiting was more common than nausea. Seems like you should have nausea and vomiting. Anyway, um, now logistically, this is gonna be tough to, tough to do. Okay, if you give a one-hour infusion in clinic from eight to nine, then you wait six hours, you know, it, it's, that's a long day for kids to, to come back and for their parents. So logistically, this is challenging. So I, I, I do wonder, um, you know, how pediatric uh, clinicians will, will deal with this because we do have an FDA-approved drug that is helpful for preventing ototoxicity. And as someone who doesn't practice in peds, I do wonder if maybe there are certain regimens that are more ototoxic because they're more cisplatin where this makes more sense or if if this is a, a ramp up approach and you you give a couple cycles and if you start to suspect some hearing loss then you give it uh you know not really sure um and then you have to weigh the the added risk of greater nausea and, and vomiting it appears uh, for this okay but anyway potentially a pretty big supportive care advanced for uh for children and something that that i think all oncology clinicians should be aware of because this is something that may make its way uh, into adults. Other than adults, we are, are, are less, frankly, we're less worried about, about ototoxicity. Uh, even if you did have hearing loss and you have testicular cancer, uh, you were probably still gonna give you cisplatin and try and cure you, uh, rather than letting you uh, die with great hearing, okay? All right, uh, moving on. The next day, September 21st, the FDA approved uh, selpercatinib, uh, or uh, retevmo, uh, now, selpercatinib was approved uh, two years ago for retfusion-positive non-small cell lung cancer. That was an accelerated approval. This approval is a regular approval 
for non-small cell lung cancer. There is also an accelerated approval for selpercatinib for uh, solid tumors with refusion positive um, um, rearrangements with no other treatment options available in the metastatic setting, okay? A, a site agnostic approval. Um, now, I could, I don't even have to look at that. It's probably about 100 patients. Response rate was okay. Duration of response is okay, right? We've seen these accelerated approvals before. But this is the second time in the last couple months that we have seen a TKI approved or converted from accelerated approval to regular approval without um, a confirmatory trial that includes a randomized control to uh, to another agent. This was this regular approval was based off of the original study, Libretto 001, which was a single arm study. They now have an extra 112 patients, another 18 months of follow up. The numbers are still basically the same. Um, you know, in the treatment naive cohort, so we have 316 patients total to base this approval off of compared to the 100 in the accelerated approval roughly, uh, or 100 and change. In the treatment naive folks, so no prior treatment for their lung cancer, that's only 69 patients, response rate 84%, duration of response 20 months, 20 months, 20 months. In those that had prior treatment, and that's, that's you know, over 200, response rate uh, was was 61%, and you would expect the response rate to be a little bit lower in a second-line setting for any drug, okay? So we, we get that, right? The duration of response was 28 months. I had to double-check that a couple of times. The response rate is lower, but those who did respond had a better response, a better duration of response than, say, similar folks in the treatment naive cohort. This could be noise. There could be a difference in, in how much ret fusion there is, right? Uh, they're, you know, basically... These are heterogeneous tumors, we think, in a metastatic state. So are they all rep, rep fusion positive, or is there a fraction, right? So maybe that fractionation has something to do with that, and it's just just noise in the numbers certainly could be. It could also be, you know, 58% of those folks who had treatment uh, already received immune checkpoint inhibitors that we think maybe sometimes keep working afterwards, you know? There, there are certainly reports of people who, um, uh, you know, have progressive disease or stable disease and they, they stop their immune checkpoint inhibitor and then have a response later. So the duration of response, maybe it's longer. I'm guessing. I'm wondering, really. I'm asking the question, are, is it longer in those folks that, are, that already had treatment uh, and now they're getting second-line selpercatinib? Is it possible that duration of response is longer because they had prior treatment with immune checkpoint inhibitor? Don't know. We should see a publication that maybe has a subgroup analysis of that to investigate that question, but I haven't seen that yet. But certainly a continuing trend of site agnostic approvals for tyrosine kinase inhibitors, and I think we now have two of these. It's clearly a trend that uh, these drugs are going to be approved showing response rate, duration of response, without showing that they improve even event-free survival, progression-free survival, overall survival uh, for these uh, for these mutations. So um, I think it's... Uh, um, it's a regular approval, so for that regular approval to go away, there would have to be a study showing that uh, some other treatment is is better than this, um, and that's going to be a hard bar, I think, to clear uh, for for selpercatinib, for example. Okay, well, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at PharmDetiv, and you can follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.